I promised you something uh, a week or so ago, and that was that I was going to do my best this year to uh, to find us in the Old Testament more often than the New Testament. All right, so we're actually going to go to one of the minor prophets, uh, Zephaniah. So if you would turn in your Bible to Zephaniah. In other words, it might be easiest for some of you to go to Matthew and start flipping back to the left. Um, and so if you get to Zechariah, which is very close to Zephaniah, you just want to keep going left one more book and then you'll be at Zephaniah. So if we'll look here in chapter 3 of Zephaniah, I want to turn and our attention toward what he says at the very end of his book. Now, if you will bear with me just for a moment, I want to set up the context of his ministry. Now, he's a minor prophet simply because he just wrote less. That's all it means to be a minor prophet. The major prophets just means they wrote more. So, for instance, Isaiah, he's a major prophet. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these guys are made because they write more. It's not that they're more important, they're just lengthier, alright? Uh, so, you know, today in, in the sermon you can say, okay, he was a major prophet or he was a minor prophet today, right? Anyway. Um, Minor prophets write less, but no less important content. Alright? Now, in Zephaniah's time, he lived somewhere between around... Or he prophesied somewhere between 630 and 600 B.C. Okay? Now, this is going to be right before the Babylonians come in with Nebuchadnezzar and destroy Jerusalem exile the people out of the land. Actually, he's only about 10 or 15 years off from the first deportation of the Babylonians. So they actually came in, it'd be like somebody coming into America and deporting you to Iraq or wherever, Russia. And so they're ripped from their land, they're ripped from their family, they are made to then uh, live in a foreign land. And so there are three deportations. Finally, finally, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and will destroy the whole place and raise, bulldoze the temple to the ground. Now, before all that happens, Zephaniah prophesies that it's going to happen. So his book, like many of the prophets, have some doom and gloom in them. You know, if you've ever read the prophets for any length of time, they're talking about judgment is coming. God is not going to continue to tolerate this. God is not going to look kindly at your idolatry. He's not going to look away from your sin, but instead He's going to deal with it. And you know what this shows to us? Not that the Bible is negative, but that sin is negative, and God is not going to tolerate it forever. In other words, as I often say when I'm, when I'm teaching the prophets, is God has apparently a judge-a-meter. And when that judge-a-meter gets full, judgment comes. In other words, thank God His judgment comes. What if Nazi Germany was still ruling today? What if Rome, in all of its evil, was still ruling today? What if dictators around the world ruled continually and that forever? God forbid... Thanks be to God for His judgment. We long for His judgment to come upon sin so as to stop it in its tracks. The 
problem is being in a nation that is reaching that fullness of its judgmator. Zephaniah lived in such a nation. It was God's nation. Israel, right? Judah. And yet God said, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to end your time in my land. I gave you this land. You judged the peoples of this land in Joshua. Remember that? They came in and judged the peoples that were living there. The Moabites, the Edomites, Mosquitoites, all the different ites, they judged them. God uses them to judge them. Now He's going to use a pagan, idolatrous king to come in and judge His own people. And, and, and people just simply do not believe that's going to happen. They say, surely God will not get rid of the temple. That's His own house. That'd be stupid to blow up your own house. How are we going to be His, His voice in the world if He gets rid of us? He'll never get rid of us. We'll continue in our sin. Sound familiar? God will never do away with the American church. He'll never bring persecution upon the American church because we've done so much good. When the judgmeter runs out, judgment comes no matter who you are. No matter if you're the elect of God or not. Judgment is coming. It will not last forever. He will not put up with sinful, evil behavior forever. Now again, He's very gracious. They've been in the land for hundreds of years. The people before them, hundreds of years. But, Zephaniah prophesies in chapter 1 and in 2 that judgment is coming and there's nothing you can do about it. At this point in the story, around 600, there's nothing that can be done. Even with repentance at this point, He's coming in. He's coming in. In other words, you must go through the fire at this point in order to be saved. In order for Him to save Israel, He's going to have to destroy Israel and judge them. Rip them from the land and cause a crisis in order for them to be free from their idolatry. And you know what the good news is before we actually read our passage? The good news is once He did this exile and they were gone for 70 years and then returned back to the land, they never again worshipped another idol. Even to this day, they don't worship idols. They never have been tempted in that area again. He actually purged them and cleansed them, but it took fire. It took crisis. Notice his words as we get to the end of the book. We're going to pick up in verse 14 of chapter 3. Notice what's said. Now, I just painted a very gloomy picture. Notice what's said here. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, 
Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. It is powerful. It is living. And it must be applied to our hearts today. And we pray that You would do that this morning in Your most holy name. Amen. What makes you happy? This is what we've been talking about. What really makes you happy? This is what I've been talking to the kids about. And as, I, as we've been going through this series, we have mentioned several things about this term happiness. We've shown that really our term for happy, our definition, our modern definition is not enough to really do justice to what we should mean when we speak about Happiness. Happiness is not just happen chance. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a momentary thing. The Bible, again, never uses our term for happy, but it uses a lot of things that will make happiness more robust. And that is things like we've talked about, blessedness. Remember that objective state that nobody can mess with? Something that God has done for you that no one can take away? Such as values and goals, core things to our heart. When we are living for those things, it makes us happy. When we reach those intrinsic goals, it makes us happy. Holiness and morality. This pursuit makes us happy. You say, that's really weird. It is. But if you do what is right, when you lay your head down at night, you can be happy. It doesn't matter the circumstance. You can be happy. And today we want to talk about another perspective on happiness, and that is joy. Joy. Now, this morning, uh, I got out of the shower early, still dark outside, and I went into our bedroom, and there was my bride and my smallest child, Ty, and they were, um, you know, he came to sleep with us last night again. And that doesn't always happen. Um, but uh, when it does, it's, it's sort of a precious moment now because it rarely does happen. Uh, the first one slept with us forever. Um, and finally we got him out. The others really did not. But now Ty, he gets in there with us every once in a while. The other night he came into the bed and it was late. And uh, it was about 3 o'clock. Well, it was about 2.30. And... Um, and he, he laid down like between us, and his little hand went over to mine, and he held my hand. And in that moment, 
I can't describe to you the feeling I had from this little bitty hand that was just on my hand, you know. And this morning, as I looked at them, they were snuggled up together. You know, he basically had his head up against her head and, you know, was basically on her. And the, like I just had a jolt of joy in that moment. It was what the Bible says, joy unspeakable. I, 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 don't, I can't articulate what I felt. It's just like the other week when I told you, you know, we went to the park and I saw my family walking across that field and I said, that's what I'm living for. That's who I am a part of. That's what this life is about. Not material things, but these people who God has, get, has given me. And it was just a jolt of joy this morning. To just let that little bitty scene. And then, you know, I'm back to the grind. We need to experience joy if we're going to ever be happy. Now, <clears throat> we saw here in Zephaniah several different words for joy and happiness that maybe you didn't see exactly. So if you'll look again here, and verse, actually, here in Zephaniah is the greatest concentration in two verses, 14 and 18, uh, sorry, 14 and 17, that, of this term joy. So you have eight different terms for joy or happiness here that are used in two verses. That's, that's pretty significant. You know, again, if you're interpreting the Bible, you want to look for repetition. That's something you want to all of a sudden connect to. Notice, notice here, here we go. Sing aloud. Shout. Rejoice. Exult with all your heart. Rejoice over you with gladness. Exult over you with loud singing. Eight different terms there, phrases that talk about joy and speaking it. So here's the thing is joy is not meant to be kept in. It's meant to be shared. When something good happens to you, you say, man, you know, hey, I got a bonus at work. A few extra thousand dollars. You're just not just like, yeah, gee, thanks, man. No, it's, it's yes! I know exactly what I'm going to do with that. I'm pumped about it. You get on the phone, you're like, hey, babe, I just got a bonus. Woo! At least that's what I do. If your kid does something that is... Great in a sports game. You're proud. You go tell somebody about that. You don't just keep it in. It's something worth mentioning. It's something worth voicing. And so is God. So are the things of God. You know, it's not material possessions that really bring joy. They can bring some temporary happiness. You know, you get awarded with a new truck. Hey, that's, that's awesome. You know, new vehicle. I mean, somebody said, hey, I want to give you a $50,000 vehicle. I'd, I'd run around this building five times. You say, I don't, I'd like to see that one and give me a vehicle. Um, you know, and you'll see it. But, uh, but that's not going to happen for me. But if, you, if somebody said, hey, I'm going to give you a, a vehicle. You get really excited about this, right? But you know what? Ten years down the road... 15 years down the road? You think you're still going to run around the building driving that thing? No. No. Especially if you drive as much as I do. 
that car will be worn completely out. No one's going to, you know, you, when you get something new, you wear new shirts, you feel like everybody's looking at you. Ten years down the road, not everybody's looking at that shirt. They actually weren't looking in the first place, but they're surely not looking now. <laughs> things wear out quickly, don't they? Things, material things, houses wear out. Bank accounts wear out. Investments wear out. Job titles wear out. Prestige wears out. People retire. It cannot be kept up. It is not eternal. But you know what? There are some things in life that are eternal. There are some things in life that never get old. And I want to mention these. Really just two. God and people. And the story of God and the story of people. You see, if we could see our lives as God sees our life, our stories here at Harvest Point are intersecting with each other. We've not always known each other. Some of us are new. Some of us have been here for a while. And our stories are all interconnected. So is God in that story. He's the one who is writing the overall story. And it's a beautiful thing if we could step back to see it. And sometimes we forget this and we start trying to write our own story. We start trying to write our own thing. And it's garbage. It won't last. There's no joy there. You know, it's fascinating that the Hebrew word for presence. And did you notice how there was something else that was pretty here? Which was the Lord in our midst. Did you catch that? The Lord was in their midst. I mean, here's a, here's a prophet who has primarily told us in two chapters a lot of doom and gloom. Sort of like Jeremiah again. You read his book, he's always just, here comes the bad. They even, he was known as the one who brings bad news. His name was a, was a household name of, oh, here's, here comes the prophet, here's Mr. Bad News. But he says, look, it's like a fire in my body. I cannot help but speak what is true. Here's Zephaniah. He's spoken what is true. He's spoken the doom and gloom. Now he says, you know what? It's time to rejoice. It's time to shout. None of this stuff has even happened yet. That's living by faith. That's living by faith. Have you? I know you've shouted before when something that you wanted to see happen came about. Like more room for a worship facility. Praise the Lord! But what about shouting beforehand? That's what he's calling them to do. Notice that he says the Lord was in their midst. He was the warrior, some translations have it. He's the Lord. It's talking about Jesus. They don't even know Jesus. He's not come yet. The Messiah, this is a prophecy. And yet he says, shout out loud now. If you're going through a tough time, it's the presence of God now that will get you through. And it's worth shouting about now because you will have the final victory. It's His presence. 
Now back to what I was starting to say and my ADD kicked in. There's a Hebrew word for presence that means face. His, so anytime you see in the Bible where it says His presence was with them, like it says a lot in Exodus, My presence will go before you even. That's His face. Now, the one thing that really identifies you the most, and this is, this is worldwide, it's not just in, a, in America or in the West, is your face. This is why when people go rob banks, they don't just cover up their forearms or their kneecaps or their feet, but their face. You know, feet sort of all look the same. You know, our arms and legs, whatever, it's not, you know, the most identifying feature about us. It's a face. People don't say, man, I never forget a hand. I've, at least I've never heard that. I've never forget a foot, you know. No, but people say, I never forget a face. The FBI are not going to get a description of the guy's hand or his foot, but his face. They want to know what he looks like. Because you can cover these up and these it's normal to cover that up. But to cover your face, that's, no, we want to see the face. This is why having tough conversations, when you have to confront someone, when there's a problem between two people, it's always better to be in the same room, to look at their face. You can misunderstand something I've said in an email or even over the phone. But to see my face and the passion in my face, the love in my face, there's a lot you can communicate with your face. So much so that it's in my syllabus at Calhoun. I tell them, you know, I, have to, I give them 20%. For class participation. Which I tell them it's insane that I would do that. 20% of your grade comes from you showing up and actually being there when you're there. And the way you show that to me is not by talking the whole time. I don't need you to talk the whole time. I got that covered. Instead, I want you to show me with your face that you're engaged. You know, this right here, praying for me and bowing your head is not showing me that you're engaged. I don't, in these classes, I don't need your prayers like that. You can pray with eyes wide open, right? To be daydreaming. You can see that, can't you? You ever been talking to somebody and you just, they're looking past you? They're not even in the conversation. They're gone. They're out of the game. You can tell that because of the face. Zephaniah says, God is in our midst. His presence is right here in our midst. And that is something to be joyful about. In other words, His face is looking upon us this morning. That's worth getting excited about, isn't it? Our Father is looking at us. I I actually um, uh, point out Drew real quick. When when he prays, I I notice that he, he always says, Lord, watch over us. Watch over us as we do this or that. And actually, I really like that. He is watching us like a father watches his child play at the playset. Like a mother does at a park. He's watching when the other kids come to bully, guess what? Mom's not going to sit beside, is she? At least not our mom. Hey, what are y'all doing to him? This happened recently. No, mom is going to go into action. Dad is not going to stand by while other people pick on his Son, and you know what? Neither will God. He 
watches over us like a father. And the things that come into our life, He is watching that. He is there to help. His presence is there. Now, I don't always just run into the situation, do I? I have to teach my kids to be a man on their own eventually. When they're little, I actually, you know, intercede more often. But my dad doesn't, you know, somebody's picking on me now or somebody gets into an argument with now, he doesn't bust into the argument and try to save me now. I'm actually a grown man. Finally, I think. Maybe. God's presence in our life brings joy and that joy brings happiness. Remember what we talked about? Happiness is the result of something else. It's not its own thing. So therefore we have to have a formula to be happy. It's not just seeking happiness of its own accord. Instead, we've got to be seeking something more. When we seek after His face, when we pursue His face, then joy will come. And you know what? Just look at me with your face again. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter your sin. It doesn't matter the dark places in your life. If you will look at His face this morning with the eye of faith, He can save. He can heal. He can lift you up out of the pit. This is the good news. I know this good news. I've experienced this good news. Thousands of countless saints before you have experienced the same good news. You're not the only one going through a bad time. You're not the only one in a dark place. He can lift you out of anything. Do you believe that? Yes. I do too. Because it's the truth. But Satan would close us in, wouldn't he? He would seclude us from the church. He can get us into dark places and begin to cover our face to where we cannot see the face of God. When we try to see with the eye of faith, we see nothing because we're blinded. But you know what? You don't have to live in that blindness. You've heard the truth proclaimed this morning. The light has come. The light has shone. All we do now is respond to His goodness. Respond to His grace. Even death cannot keep Him away. Even death cannot keep us apart. I was thinking about this as I was preparing for our time. And my pappy died about three years ago, uh, April. It will be three years. And it's always a you know, shocking thing to see our loved ones, their body, when they're dead. And we talked a little bit about this last week, about living with the end in mind. Pappy did. He loved God. He prayed every single day for me, for my family, for you, because he would pray for our church. Him and my meanwhile would join hands every single morning and pray for us. And you know what? I think he's still praying. He said, that sounds sort of Catholic to me. Might be. I think he's still praying. If he's alive somewhere, then I know that I'm in his heart. Because he loved me. He didn't call me grandson. 
He called me son. Son, come over here. Son, I'm real proud of you. <laughs> and he's praying. My meemaw's still praying. That kind of stuff, that lasts forever. The things we do, the things we get caught up in, the, the, that the world would advertise to bring happiness, does not bring happiness. But you know what does? Family. Even the mob understands it. Even the gang world understands family. They have to operate by it in order to operate in unity. Family is something God designed. It all began with a marriage. Adam and Eve. Male and female, He created them. These are things to live for the faces of those you love. You know what? Pappy lived for love. Now he's in love. He's in love himself. Jesus. You say, does that make you sad? I thought I saw you tear up. It makes me sad that I can't enjoy His presence now like I could then. But you know what? Papa's still with me. He just came to my mind. This wasn't in my notes. So, He's in my heart. Just like I carry you in my heart. My wife. My four boys. My brother. My family. When we live for ourselves, we don't have room for others. We don't make room for others. When we feel like our situation is worse than anybody else's or unredeemable or we are trapped and we cannot get out, we begin to then play our own pity party songs. We go deeper and darker as we turn into ourself. This is not God's design. Reach out. Reach out. If you've ever looked at how people overcome addictions, it's not by their self. It's always with the help of God and others. Others. Is this what you live for? If you don't, it'll ne- you'll never be happy. Again, I, you know, I went through all hundred and something of those surveys I did, and not one of them said, I make myself happy. Happiness is not brought by yourself. It's a result of doing other things for God and other people that make you happy. Again, we've said it before, we'll say it again. You want to be happy? Make somebody else happy. Find a quiet place to meet with God. Did you notice here in 7 he says, wait upon the Lord. The Scripture says elsewhere, wait upon the Lord and He'll renew your strength. And elsewhere it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength in Nehemiah. If you want to be a strengthened person, that no matter what storm comes your way in 2015, no matter what thing you're going through now, whatever you've dug yourself or entangled yourself in, He can be your freedom. The church can be your freedom. It will never be done by you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and others. We must be 
unattached to the things of this world. This is the point of Lent, is for spring cleaning to happen. Now some of you have not really, you know, this season has just sort of passed you by. Look, you've got two more weeks to prepare for Easter. Two more weeks to detach yourself, untether yourself from the things of this world in order to live for things that are eternal. In order to gain true joy. Joy comes in the morning, the Bible says. In other words, every single morning is a new day to experience life, freedom, joy, God, others. There's strength in being detached from this world. Now, uh, let me clarify because Buddhism talks about non-attachment. This is one of their key points in Buddhism. Now, this is not a class on Buddhism. If you want to know more about it later, you can either go to Calhoun or you can you know, talk to me later. I'll give it for you free. But in Buddhism, you are trying to detach yourself from the things as well. The body is bad. Material things are bad and evil. That's not what Christianity is saying. We're not detaching ourselves, transcending our body. No, no, we're bringing this old body along. Our body is us. There is no separation. When you're separated, you're dead. But we do practice non-attachment. We do practice overcoming the things of the world, don't we? It doesn't matter if it's Buddhist or Hindu or whatever. If it's the truth, it's the truth. There's only one truth because there's only one God. And many religions are very close to the truth, but they're missing the key component, and that's Jesus. We're not not trying to transcend our situation or overcome our situation or detach ourselves from our current situation in order to go into nothingness, which is what nirvana is, is to be blown out. That's what that term means, to be blown out, to cease to exist. No! It's to live life to its fullest. We detach from this life, detach from these things of this world, so that we can attach ourselves to the truth, to life Himself, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Warrior, as He says here, the Lord God in our midst. Folks often say that we'll be surprised by who's in heaven when we get there. You know, maybe from other religions, maybe from even secularist societies. We'll be surprised who's there. You know what Jesus says and the Bible says? The Bible says we'll be surprised who's not there. People who we saw sitting in this room. People who we were in small group with. People who you go to work with and you say, they're a good person. They seem to have it going on. Jesus says many will say in that last day, Lord, Lord, And I'll say, I never knew you. If this is a game to you, wake up. It's no game. This is real life. This is your only life. You do not get another one. You don't get another body. This is your one body. This is your one family. This is your one job. This is your one calling. This is your one mission. Are you going to continue to waste it? 
Are you going to continue to try to write your own story when He has a beautiful one written for you? We can rejoice. We don't have to be in doom and gloom. Even with the judgments, even in trials, what is greater than God? If God be for us, who can be against us? No one. No thing. No situation. No sin. There's nothing that you've done that He cannot forgive. There's nothing you've tangled yourself up in that He cannot deliver you from. Even behind the bars of a prison, you can be freer than the people sitting in this room. He can make you free indeed. Do you know that kind of freedom? Do you have that kind of joy in your heart? That, that joy that, that is unspeakable and full of God's glory. As I look at your faces, I, th- I would say, yes, you do. You're a great people. You're a great church. You got it going on. But you know what? Some of us are hiding behind the mask that we've created. Take it off. Small groups are designed to take it off. Even further than small group, personal meetings with people in our church are designed to take it off. To be real. We're all sinners in need of His grace. The good news is we do not have to continue in our sin. He can free us, cleanse us from all sin. That's His words, not mine. You say, that's too big of a job. No, that's a lack of faith. Do you believe that He can do all things? Do you believe that He can change a human heart? I know He's changed mine from selfishness to others. To love of God. Don't live for yourself. There's joy in looking at His face. In seeing the faces of those He's given you. That's your mission field. That's your calling. There's strength in detaching yourself from this world. And the fruit of all of this comes from the Spirit. And it's joy. It's joy. It's joy. Joy that makes you want to shout. Joy that will all of a sudden jolt into your heart when somebody... I'm just driving down the road and some, one of you come to mind. I think of your, your growth in Jesus and just joy. I look at my kids and joy. Look at this family. The unity we have in this church. Joy! Unspeakable. And yet we speak it. We shout it. We proclaim it. We believe it. We can be happy. But not without Jesus. Not without each other. There is no happiness apart from God and others. Are you ready to attach yourself to Jesus? Detach yourself from this world. You can do that this morning. Do not let this moment slip away. If God has spoken to you, we're going to give you a chance to respond to that now. Amen.